When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Hi, welcome to another film study. This is Ken McCusick. We're doing a review today of the defensive line prospects in the 2020 NFL Draft. I'm joined by John Vogel. John, how are you doing? I'm pretty good, Ken. How about you? Can't complain, not even a little bit. John, uh, tell folks where they can find your work, for starters. Uh, NFLDraftRight.com is my website. Uh, we got a great team over there, and on Twitter, I post a lot. That's pretty much where I'm active, at, at John D.A. Vogel. At John D.A. Vogel, Okay. And I have noticed a lot of tweets from you, and uh, definitely a worthwhile follow there. Uh, get involved in the conversation, and don't be afraid to tag them, I'm sure, on draft on draft stuff uh, even a little, a little, little bit. All right, well, today we're going to talk about the defensive line. And, uh, you know, one of the things that really strikes me about this class is just how thin it is going through. I mean, 
Uh, I, I'm specific about who can be included, and we've got a little bit of a difference here in the way we're presenting that. So um, uh, we'll, we'll get to that as it comes up. But it's a, it's a, it's quite a thin class. I mean, you think they've got a choice and a bunch of tiered choices, and that's true at some positions like inside linebacker. I think it's true on the offensive line, particularly on the interior, which we've looked at already. It's definitely true at wide receiver this year. There just are not too many good defensive linemen in this class. No, and I think that's one of the things that's kind of been one of the standouts and why I have so many guys that I have on my list the way that it, it went. Because when you're going through, you know, I think I only had 22 or 25, somewhere between 22 and 25 draftable defensive linemen, period. And normally that list is longer and it's one of the smaller position groups this year, period. Yeah. I mean, I guess part of it is that the NFL is losing total positions on the DL. Whereas you play three offensive linemen on the interior on every single NFL snap, you never have a you never have an exception to that you might have one more occasionally, but you you never play with less than three interior offensive linemen on an AFL snap. You often play with less than three defensive linemen on a snap, and you rarely play with an additional. So uh, we'll get into some of that as we go. I don't want to do that. Don't want to don't want to completely unbag that without having a good prospect to to make an example of. I did want to talk some before we start about the Ravens' particular situation on the defensive line entering the draft because I think it's quite dire. Um, they they start the year with four players who will be 30-plus on opening day. Uh, Williams, Campbell, Wolf, and Ellis as well are all 30-plus. Campbell, of course, is 34. Um, these are guys, none of whom are signed past 2021. In fact, Ellis and Wolf are signed only for 2020. So it's not a position where they have guys locked up long term. They don't have any cornerstone player who is young or, or you know, anybody who's not signed for more than two years really isn't a cornerstone player at this point. Uh, although Williams you know, has been that um, it, it's a it's a position where the Ravens need to get younger, quicker. And it's not just for the defense. They need to do it. They need to shift cap to offense, which means they're going to have to get young DL and get them in place to get a cheaper roster going forward, or they have a risk of this becoming the new wide receiver position. That's a really great point. And, you know, if you look at these guys that they've added this year, you know, um, Derek Wolf, Clyce Campbell, these guys are, these are older veteran type guys that aren't going to be around for much longer. And when you look at the depth kind of behind them, when you start getting into this roster, there's, there's not that many people that are there. So these roster moves that they've made have been really good. For 2020 after this part up to this point but i don't think uh, i don't think for sustained success it's going to work the only player they have returning who had any snaps last year and who's under the age of 30 is daylon mack who had eight snaps last and year, he's so. right now projected behind brandon williams to nose tackle which is right. a little bit scary it is a little bit scary I, I i think there's a pretty good chance he doesn't make the roster we'll probably understand more uh in the preseason, assuming that happens, exactly what was the reason why he was redshirted so early uh, when the Ravens had real needs in his position? It may have been all injury, or it may have been a case where he just really wasn't ready to play in the NFL, you know, during his first year. I I watched him a little bit back in college, if I remember correctly. This guy came. I'm trying to remember where exactly. Texas A and M. That's what I was thinking. Is A and M because he played with. Um, I mean, they had a couple guys on that line that year. I can't yeah, remember. Yeah, right uh, I mean, uh, Matt Ibuke came out, is coming out this year. 
from uh, Texas A&M. So uh, I'm sure they played was, together. Deshaun Hall, I think, played there too at the same time. So I was watching a lot of Hall. So, um, yeah, yeah it's, it's it is scary when you think about. It. There's five guys right here on our lads when the top six that aren't going to be there next year. That's right. Not a deep class in the defensive line we mentioned already. I, I think uh, this would be the ideal time for Eric DaCosta to pull out a small school rabbit, which has been what he's been able to do at various positions, but certainly in, in terms of the defensive line, Patrick Ricard was originally a defensive lineman, obviously turned into more of a fullback than that, and uh, uh, also picked up Michael Pierce from uh, Sanford and, and uh, Brandon Williams himself was a small school guy. You know, it's not like nobody knew about Brandon Williams at the time, but Michael Pierce fell to the undrafted ranks and uh, Patrick Ricard was not drafted. So, you know, they've been, had a great run of finding those guys. And, and unfortunately you find yourself even needing another rabbit at this point. There's a couple guys that are, that's on my list that fits that mold too. Um, There are a couple that are in this class that have popped at me, you know, in different uh, all-star events and such that made me go back and look at tape. So uh, we'll definitely get into that here in a little bit. All right. Well, let's, let's get right into the, the list making here. And, and so the way we've done that, if folks are not familiar with this and, you know, there's a wide receivers, interior offensive line podcasts are out there, but uh, we go through and we, we each take the top player off our list alternately and then respond to the other players. So I, I'll start it off with Javon Kinlaw, who's the number one guy on my list, South Carolina, six, six, three, ten. I know we agree on this guy as, as, as being the top guy. And by the way, we left out Derek Brown intentionally because there's no way he'll fall to the Ravens at number 28 Kinlaw at the last moment we decided to include the reason being not that I think he'll drop to 28 but there's a there's a very slight chance the Ravens could trade up to get him um you know maybe at around number 18 to 20 in that range were he to fall to there so we've got it we've got him on the list but I really don't expect the Ravens to get him He's, he's a player I've been loving the entire time great downhill player uh both as a penetrator and a pass rusher he's got a fantastic bull rush Bull Rush, like other players of his size that can dictate first contact on the defensive line, he's got a real chance to be a difference maker as a stunt under player. Uh, so you want a guy who will dive across the face of a player uh, into the shoulder of the lineman on the other side, dictate a double team immediately, and then have a looping player be advantaged and also have himself be disadvantaged once he's got, think of it as two 45-degree angle blocks made on him, which is like having no blocks <laughs> made on you when that uh, when the other player has to peel off. So the good under players uh, really know how to dictate that contract well and get each each of the two offensive linemen blocking on them at an angle. Uh, Kinlaw, very heavy-handed player. Uh, I think he'd do very well on um, on. Being in an environment like Baltimore where the coaching is good, but he also has a chance to, to learn from some veterans like Wolf and Campbell. Campbell may be more applicable to his particular situation with the length he plays with. And uh, I think, as I said, the only way the Ravens get him is to trade up. Completely agree. And, you know, at the Senior Bowl, when he he showed out for the first day and a half, um, it was by far the most dominant performance across that defensive line group in that entire you know, that entire class. It was great. Uh, nobody could stop him one-on-one. Nobody nobody had a chance. Uh, he was just fiercely bigger and stronger than everybody he went up against. And 
when you look and you go back and look at the tape, I think a lot of people point to consistency, and that's why he's not the number one guy in this positional group. You know, and that's why Derek Brown is over him. Um, but from a you know from a size standpoint, from a schematic standpoint, where you know this is a guy that wouldn't just fit in Baltimore; he fit all over the league. Um, he's specifically one of these guys that can just eat double teams, and you can't block him one on one. So he you have to get that double team on him in order to kind of contain him and that's if you look at where the nfl's been going in the last you know couple years really with defensive linemen that's where the direction that they've gone is these bigger guys that dictate at the line of scrimmage so i think it's uh i think it's quite exciting um i think it's quite exciting to think about what he could be in the nfl uh, especially since he hasn't even hit his full potential yet. Right. I mean, I, I think that's a good point. And in particular, I'd, I'd point to a lot of guys that are out there. There are some polished players in this draft. Kinlaw's not one of them. But to me, that means he's got very coachable upside as a player. Um, and and I, I get a little worried when guys are mediocre athletes in particular who are very polished or extremely good hands players in the defensive line group, and they haven't had over-the-top kind of production, or maybe they have had pretty good production, but I just don't see a, a, a much higher ceiling for them. That's not the case at all with Kinlaw. Kinlaw not only will benefit from the coaching, I think he'll also be just an unstoppable force with fewer snaps at the NFL level. I mean, that's something in, in Martindale's system, for example, he, you know, Snaps are handed out with an eyedropper to start with on the entire defense because it's so deep. But on defensive line in particular, because the Ravens play so much dime and quarter, um, and, and they rarely have three defensive line on the field. When they do play the standard nickel, they often have an extra uh, defensive lineman on the interior. And when they have the dime on, they can have four four outside linebackers. I'm sorry, I, an outside linebacker is what I meant with the, with the dime. People, I think, understood that. But anyway, they often play with only one defensive lineman. And they had their second fewest ever total defensive line snaps uh, per play last year at 1.93. They're at 1.90 the previous year. So it really, the defensive line as a, as a need is getting reduced, and yet the quality, uh, you know, av- availability of quality uh, is still paid for uh, to a high degree. Yeah, very fair point. And you also have to consider that, you know, the rest of the league is kind of shifting away. They want these prototypical edge guys, you know, these guys that, you know, that I have not classifying right now as defensive linemen because they're not that prototypical edge, you know, and uh, they're going to be projected to be more interior. And so, that's a really great point about the the quality of this position group just kind of starting to fade in general. I want to come back to the to that point a little later, but let's do it with a specific example. It's your turn. Go go ahead with your the top guy on your list after Kinlaw. Right. So the top guy I think is uh, and this is a Ravens specific one is Ross Blacklock out of TCU. Um, this is a guy the Ravens are talking to. They're interviewing with him. Um, they've had a virtual so far, from what I understand. Blacklock is a very big. He's a very very athletic type freak. He made uh, Bruce Feldman's athletic freak list, if I remember correctly, before the season started in 2019. Uh, you want to talk about strong, um, being able to move on the line, kind of play pretty much any of those techs that you ask him to do, one, three, five. Um, this guy's got it. And he's a lot of fun to watch just because he's so active. Uh, I really, TCU had a really, you know, less than desirable scheme last year. 
And a lot of the talent that was on that team sort of fell to the backdrop as a result of that. But Blacklock, um, from what I, from if I, if I'm remembering numbers here correctly, 600, he squatted 600 pounds during the off season. And, uh, he, his bench presses were through the roof at the combine. So like, I really like Blacklock. I think he would be a good fit in Baltimore. Just, you know, as even as just that one guy, you know, like we were talking about Kinlaw, if you're going to play that one defensive lineman, Blacklock would be one of those guys that you would want on the field for those types of uh, situations. Yeah, he's he's a good guy for that. I mean, obviously the Ravens are in a good position this year because they don't need a guy this exact year who would need to take that spot. I mean, he'll get some snaps any better as as a rookie for the Ravens to find out what exactly they have. But, you know, I expect it to be Campbell on on third down mm-hmm. and potentially wolf as well although i like wolf more on the early downs to be a to be a guy who uh aids the pass rush there i think the ravens will stay a lot with uh with having uh two sam linebackers on the field having an additional rush linebacker at least one that plays in uh in a race car type format uh uh there so anyway we'll uh, uh we'll see how that works out i like blacklock too he's number five on my list one of the problems that that uh, he has is he's a little undersized at 290. Uh, 6'3", he's got the good length. That's not the issue. Uh, arms may be a little bit on the shorter side to be concerned about, but I'm, you know, the good thing about defensive linemen is if they learn to play with one arm, they don't need to be as long as offensive linemen. So they can, they can keep a hand free by, you know, angling their body a little, a little bit and playing with one arm. And Blacklock is the kind of guy with the strength to do that. So I liked him from that perspective. Um, I think he actually needs to get bigger in the NFL to stay as a three tech. Um, he's a guy who looks like he might be a natural five tech coming into this league. Uh, a guy who, who really to play on the inside against the behemoths he'll face in the NFL is going to need to get a little bigger. So I'm sure there will be talk of that, that, you know, he wants to put on 15 pounds or he wants to put on 12 pounds or something to, to, to maintain his, uh, ability to play snaps on the inside. If he plays passing down snaps, not as nearly as big a deal. Because he can come in and he's effectively the aggressor on each of those plays. The other, the, def- the offensive linemen don't get to go to his body, play after play after play, um, the way they would otherwise. So I like him a lot. Um, one thing to look at is his tackle productivity at TCU is kind of low, 67 in 40 games. I look at that as a measure of how well is a defensive lineman keeping his arms free at the uh, at the college level. And obviously that's a that's a, a question. You know, you look at Kelly Gregg, who is a you know a wrestler, obviously came from that kind of background. He really knew how to keep his arm free despite the fact that they weren't particularly long in his case and and was successful with that. So uh, we'll see how that uh, how that works out. And Blacklock, definitely a guy I have projected as a as a very serious Ravens consideration in round two. And honestly, they probably would have to trade down to get a good chance at him early in round two, as opposed to waiting to 55. I don't think he's going to make it that far. I do think it's, it's, it's possible he's even taken before number 28. Cause again, the class is thin and this is a, this is a guy a lot of people think highly of. I'm going to, I'm going to go ahead and move on to my next guy. Who's Jordan Elliott of Missouri, uh, six, four, three Oh two. Uh, he's a guy I see as being drafted a lot higher than some other people are presenting it right now. I think he'd um, fit very well uh, with the youth the Ravens need to pick up. Athletic, violent with his hands guy, very active, 
Um, downhill penetrator, you know, obviously he loves to, uh, a lot of defensive line, by the way, are like this, that they play with a low pad level when they're coming without fear against the run and trying to penetrate, or they're trying to be a pass rusher, they, they are better. Uh, you know, you do have pass rushers to get high, but, uh, uh, Elliott had a, a very high pass rush win rate, as reported by PFF. That's a solid thing. Uh, it's a it's a deal class that, again, is so thin in terms of what they provide that Elliott, who I think you know probably would be a, a clear second-round guy in another year, is a guy who gravitates perhaps to the end of the first round and is a surprising to some people early pick in this draft. He would be a surprise to me. Um, I did – I ranked him as – is overall in my, my rankings is the eighth best defensive lineman in this class and is a future impact guy, not a guy that's necessarily going to impact year one or necessarily even year two, but more in the future, which for the Ravens, that would work out. I had a number seven on my list for this um, as a Raven specific, but uh, I think you do have some good points with what he does. He does do get downhill real very well. He's a gap penetrator and a, I I personally am not a big fan of, you know, like uh like one three tech guys being, you know, gap penetrators. And this is just because around when you talk with scouts around the NFL and stuff, they talk about, you know, wanting guys that, that eat blocks and this is how, how important that is and how the NFL's changing and freeing up linebackers, so on and so forth. Understand it's not as necessary in a three four defense, but you know, so that's where it's a little bit different between you and me is where I'm a little bit more partial toward, you know, space eaters and people that that consume those types of blocks as opposed to, um, you know, gap attackers. But no, I think Elliot does have the upside there if he can uh, develop correctly. Well, let's, let's talk about that for just a sec because it's a great point. The the preferred alignment for offenses to run out of is now 11 personnel. In fact, they run almost all their offense out of 11 personnel in the NFL. And so what that means is one tight end, one run, run running back. And the, I, I should say one running back, one tight end, because that's where the 11 comes from. But the, the, uh, uh, the idea is that you want, you are happy to have one fewer large player, be that a fullback or a tight end in line uh, to try and make an additional block and you exchange out a wide receiver because that forces the other team to put a third cornerback on the field. And so they have to play with two inside linemen, two outside linebackers, and generally speaking, two inside linebackers as well. Now, the Ravens changed the rules last year, and they really haven't done this much before. They did some in, in 2019 by playing the, a lot of jumbo nickel. Very few NFL teams actually play it, but they put in three down linemen on a lot of plays. And they, uh, I have the numbers here. It's about eight and a half percent of snaps they played with three down linemen with one inside linebacker, and 10.6 percent of snaps they play their base defense. So that that's you know the the notion of a base defense has largely gone away. The Ravens had been outstanding in their history in terms of stopping the uh, run out of the base nickel. So uh, it, it's really something that uh, uh, they need to uh, find a way to either. Continue playing that, and then they will need space eaters who can maintain their position and be 325 pounds of I'm not going anywhere, you know, in the old t- t- Tony Saragusa uh, <laughs> lingo. Or they, they need to, uh, you know, decide that they want to play that differently 
and, uh, and, and get more penetrators. But if you do that, then you really have to play with two inside linebackers. And the Ravens uh, are not right now at a point where they have the inside linebacker depth to play that. And I think this may be another year. We'll see how they draft where they may decide they want to go a little bit light at inside linebacker and try and play more of that jumbo nickel formation. I, I, point. I, I'm sorry, you, point. you, you're due to bring up the next player, I believe, because I just did Elliot. <laughs> All right. So I, the next guy I have on my list is actually Raquan Davis. He's a six, seven defensive lineman out of Alabama. Uh, you want to talk about a monster of a guy that is that has produced in the past. Um, Raquan Davis is a lot of fun to watch. Big, physical, imposing. Uh, I think you, you'll notice that his production dipped in the last couple of years. Uh, as a freshman, he played with Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen on that defensive line. And both of those men went pro, and he kind of fit into – you know, with the Alabama defense was sort of switching from this, you know, we're going to dominate from the line to, you know, uh, we're going to spread the defense out more and play a more zone. And so what did that happen? What happened is he became a space eater and he did so pretty well. So his production in those in the, uh, the, the box score did dip, went from, I think, eight sacks. And I think he had three and a half the last two years. So. I'm not that doesn't concern me too much because uh, to me that shows that he's going to be a very good teammate. He's going to be a good locker presence guy. And that's what I've heard. Nothing but good things about his personality, his character. Uh, So I like this guy. I think the Ravens would love to have him as an interior guy for the future just because of the size. The size is imposing. He's very long. He does have some things that he does need to work on. But uh, it's overall, it's a great package. Yeah, I liked him too. Uh, number eight on my list, six six three eleven. I, I, uh, you know, you can't look past that size because it's just so rare in the NFL. Arms are almost thirty four inches long. That's a big deal as well. Uh, he should be an imposing pass lane uh, reducer with his ability to keep his arms up. It's something he's certainly going to need to learn to do. He probably will block kicks if he comes to the Ravens. Um, I think he uses his length well, run and pass. Uh, certainly more to be learned from a player like Campbell, but, he, but he's an effective one-arm free-to-tackle guy. Um, and the guys who have real strength in one arm on the defensive line, and defensive linemen rarely miss tackles in the same way that, that uh, linebackers and safeties do. In fact, if you, if you go up every level, the missed tackle rate goes up. So your, your defensive linemen rarely miss. Your, your inside linebackers, they miss some, but they're graded very highly in terms of how effective they are at converting their tackles, and they better convert about 85 to 90% of them at inside linebacker. Safeties easily can miss 20% of tackles um, and and you know are not at all safe in the terms of their, their tackling. But anyway, very strong-arm guys like Raquan Davis are, would be the kind of guy you want being an effective one-arm tackler to, to reach into the hole and drag down a, a ball carrier, even though he's being blocked in the Oklahoma drill uh, fashion that we've seen before. Unpolished pass rusher. Um, it is He's a guy that you want to project improvement to based on his size. I am um, concerned about how much he produced, given how good that Alabama defense was. And, you know, they're playing in the SEC, so it's a tough conference. So give him a pass on that. He might be good enough anyway to take if he only ever becomes a run defender. Uh, but uh, but anyway, a, a guy certainly in it, with his size that, you, it, uh, that I wouldn't pass up on. 
I'll go ahead and introduce the next guy on my list who uh, is third for me is Justin Matai Bouquet from Texas A&M, 6'3", 293, 33.5-inch arms. He's got a lot in common with Blacklock in terms of being a a little bit smaller, but uh, definitely quick guy. And Matai Bouquet ran a 483.40, which, by the way, for people who don't know, that is lightning fast for a defensive lineman. I mean, absolutely lightning fast. Um, had 31 bench reps. So this is a guy who projects, I think, very well to being an interior pass rusher at the NFL level. Um, he will, if he wants to pay and play more downs, carry more weight uh, without losing too much of that athleticism, hopefully to play the run effectively. He's uh, been primarily a three-tech at Texas A&M. If he were forced out to a five-tech role in the NFL, that wouldn't be good, obviously. That would that would mean there's fewer available snaps. We talked a little bit about that, but the five-tech position is effectively dying. It was Wormley's position, um, and, you know, they acquire Wolf, who effectively is a five-tech. They don't, they don't have a spot for Wormley anymore, and they traded him, uh, you know, coming out of that. But the Ravens play, you know, less than 20% total snaps that include a five-tech. Um, in any season, it really it's not a position you draft at, and you end up losing a lot of guys at the NFL level um, in that spot. So Matty Bouquet really needs to stay at that three tech uh, to be valuable, and uh, and hopefully he's another guy that that you really pick up an important interior rusher because after this short period is gone, and they do have the the luxury, as I probably should have mentioned with Raquan Davis, to wait a year for a player to improve. But after that, they're going to need some some cornerstone guys on that defensive line, and and hopefully Matt Abuke is a guy who could be the lone pass rusher in a, in a race car package if that's still the way the Ravens are going two years from now. Uh, but but could do some of those things that 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 currently are done by a single defensive lineman. Yeah, so he's number five on my list for this. Um, I do think he is a future impact guy, and I thought that sometimes. You know, he is very athletic and, you know, he did he does show good pass rushing skill. Um, I do think that he still does have a, a he's still very raw overall. And I think one of the biggest concerns for me when I'm watching him was just how much, you know, he how, how little we really saw him impact the games against the big opponents that A&M played last year. Um, if you, the Alabama game, the Auburn, LSU. I think he, I think he did pretty well toward the end of the LSU game once they kind of took the foot off the pedal. But and then uh, the Clemson game as well. And so I had actually I didn't even have this guy ranked that high until um, somebody told me to go look at the Arkansas and the Ole Miss games. And I did. And I was like, OK, I see the potential now because I, I didn't see it before. But I do think he's a good uh, he does have a, a bright future in the NFL because he's so athletic, because he has the good size. Because there's always going to be a role for athletic big guys on the defensive line. That's just, if you look through NFL history, they've always managed to find a spot for them. Uh, and, I, but I, and I think that the upside, the ceiling with him, if he can put it all together, just you know, being able to take run angles the correct way and seriously impact the run game to that extent, because his pursuit angles are horrible sometimes, and he needs to shore up his tackling as well. Uh, once he gets all that put together, this guy's gonna. This guy could be one of the better defensive linemen out of this class, if not in the NFL. 
Now, you, you, a player like that who I don't know how long Matt Ibuki has been playing football. I, I don't know if mm-hmm. he's if he's a recent immigrant or re- recently took up football or any of that. But there are signs that he certainly hasn't been playing for all that long. But I look at that as an opportunity, not a shortcoming in a guy who is such an outrageously good athlete. Uh, you know, has the good size that 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 he has a lot higher ceiling. And I, I look at him and Blacklock, for example, and. Blacklock, while I think there's there's room to grow, and he certainly is an athlete who is up there towards the Matabuke end of the scale. Um, I, I just I see the ceiling for for Justin being very high, given uh, you know where he's starting right now. And and you mentioned some of the deficiencies there. Good, those are things he can correct. That's that's how you get a good player like that, and you and you get him a little bit later. Completely agree. And the reason why he's my top future impact guy. So I have like the five levels of impact, immediate impact in the NFL. So instant and low and then future, the top three. And future is, you know, somebody who's going to impact the NFL at some point. And he's my top future guy in this class because I do see that that ceiling is there. I just think with the way that the practice rules are in the NFL now and people on the defensive and offensive lines not being able to progress the way that they used to because of those restrictions in the practices – um, I think he's a couple years away. All right, fair enough. So your turn again. I apologize for double pointing you there, but uh, no, but it's your all turn. good. Okay, so my number three guy on this list, and somebody that I really think the Ravens would get into, is Kenny Willickness out of uh, Michigan State. Technically, I think according to you, he's an edge, um, mm-hmm. but I do think he's got a potential to play inside a little bit more. He does need to bulk up, but he's quick and he's he's very strong for his size as of now. Uh, the thing that really popped out to me was just the fact how, how well he plays uh, and his teammates draw to him while he's on the field. Uh, this really became evident in the senior bowl. And then you go back and you look at the game, Michigan state games and you see it throughout his entire career. This is a guy that just teammates gravitate toward. He's a magnet. And there he made this play. I think it was in, geez, it was, I think it was in run drills during the senior bowl day to practice. And it was a very athletic play, very outstanding tackle for loss. And all of his teammates went nuts. We didn't see anybody the entire senior ball week go nuts over one rep. And Willikis just had the teammates. They all loved him. There's nothing but good things that you hear from, from his teammates, the coaches at Michigan State, the coaches at the senior bowl, rant and raved about him. I, I think that it's not somebody that the Ravens would target early, you know? So whereas your, your list is a little bit more uh, in order in the sense of, you know, where I would be taking them. I think where I, when I looked at it, it was priority. Um, this would be something, somebody that the Ravens I think would have high on their board if you're going into the fourth round, for example. So not like a day one, day two guy. Okay. All right. Well, fair enough. Uh, you are, let's see, I, I, I'm, I'm not going to say anything about Willikus. I did have him on my edge list fairly far down. Um, but he's there and, and he is that kind of player who might get caught not having a position going to the NFL, because I think the natural attempt they'll make with him is either they may make him a four, three end. If he, if he finds a place to play four, three end, that'd be the natural fit for him. But if he, if he's forced to move inside to a five tech, he might just be not quite big enough. If he, if he has to stay out on the edge, 
in a 3-4 defense, he be, might be not not quite quick enough. So we'll see how that works out for him. Obviously, he's got to be a very he got to be a rock solid edge setter if he's going to be on the outside of a 3-4 defense. So hopefully they will uh, they will see that. Uh, you know, you need to be a rock solid edge setter no matter where you play. Uh, if you're playing on the outside in today's NFL, but uh, but anyway, he's a he's a guy who's definitely on my list uh, among the edge rushers. My next guy on the list is is Marlon Davidson of Auburn. Um, he's number four on my list, 6'3", 303, 33-inch arms. Uh, he's an edge defender at Auburn. Uh, he'll move inside. The thing I like about him being an edge defender at Auburn is he played fewer snaps adjacent to Derrick Brown. So even though, obviously, there's a tremendous amount of attention being focused on him, it wasn't like he was next to him for every single snap. Um, he, he was he was for some, and I don't want to don't minimize that because it's certainly a huge advantage. Um but I, I think there are legitimate questions. If, you, if you're trying to project a number of sacks, I, he won't do as well as he did at Auburn because uh, he'll move inside in the NFL. He'll be a, he'll be a, a three-tech, five-tech guy. You know, he's really going to have to make his living as a three-tech in the NFL uh, to, to get the number of snaps, as we just talked about here. Um, he has that great length or the solid length and the strength to be successful. Uh, I think he could be a force on under on as the under guy on stunts. Now, this is a this is something I really look for is this. If if you have three good qualities, I basically automatically think there's a good chance you can be the underneath guy on stunts. And one of them is a legitimate first step as demonstrated on film. So you, you you can pick out these guys, but if you one thing to watch when you're scouting is look at who's getting off the fastest off the line of scrimmage, particularly on pass plays. So everybody's stepping backwards on the offensive line, but watch the defenders and see who's getting off quickest and who has the ability to both use his arms and his legs to make that first step into the hole. So look for that. Um, number two is I want a guy who has measurables that define explosiveness and corroborate what you're seeing in terms of the quickness. And specifically, that's where the broad and vertical jumps come into play, because I want to see that explosiveness off the line of scrimmage. I think those those two are, are, are good indicators of that. And then look at the actual at the actual play of the of the thing. And is he turning shoulders the way he ought to be? Um, and uh, he's a guy who, who I think certainly can do that. And the Ravens have a lot of good under guys right now. I mean, they are rich in that category with both Wolf and Campbell being under players. Um, you want some quickness to do the to be the over player, but they've usually got plenty of that just with the number of outside linebackers they have on the field or even of inside linebackers who can take advantage of a double team being created at the line of scrimmage by, by, uh, by some of their players. Pernell McPhee. Uh, Trevor Price, Sam Adams, they all had this this wonderful ability to step between two defenders, force two blocks, create an advantage both for themselves and others as that was occurring. And uh, and Marlon Davidson is definitely a guy who could um, meet that uh, standard. Uh, there's some question about his ability to hold space against defensive tackles, and, and I think it's a legitimate question. The Ravens have this effectively one-year apprenticeship available, this internship on the defensive line, because they have a good set of starters available. Um, but he will play snaps as a rookie, and the Ravens will need to find out who they have. And uh, I don't I don't really see the Ravens taking him at number 28, which means he may be gone when they pick again in round two. Um, but it's possible if they if they were to trade down in round out of round one, that Davidson would be a guy they pick up. And again, 
not necessarily a, a position of generalized agreement that the Ravens need on the defensive line, but it's it's a big need. After edge, it's probably number two for me in terms of a, a need to get quality players over these next two drafts. And Davidson, I didn't put on my list, and um, I kind of feel stupid now not for doing that and think about him, to be honest, because I had him listed as an edge um, simply because that's where he wants to play. I definitely think he does project better inside. Uh, I did like a lot of the things. I, what I think kind of held me back on his evaluation is just the fact that he had a lot of one-on-one opportunities in the NFL, especially off of the edge. But he had a lot of one-on-one opportunities, and he didn't capitalize at Auburn with a lot of those. And it seems to be something he can kind of get caught up in blocks. Uh, and I think that's what's going to drop him into the second round for being a first guy. But um, – no, he's definitely there. I think that, you know, for all the points that you mentioned, he's a he's a good Ravens player. And, you know, I, like I said, I probably should have put him on my list, but I didn't think about him, to be honest. That's all right, uh, John. Who's who's next on your list? My guy, my next guy on my list is Rashard Lawrence, uh, defensive lineman out of LSU. He's my number four. Now, I think I'm probably a little bit higher on Rashard Lawrence than most people are in the class. Um I've been thinking about him as a he's another future guy, not so much a direct right away impact guy. But Richard Lawrence, there was a difference on that LSU defense when he was on the field and when he was off. And that clicked very much, especially in the, the Texas game when they were they had two goal line stands at the two and one yard line. And he was the rock on the defensive line during those. And as soon as he came off the field, Texas started scoring a lot. But. He struggled with injuries a little bit. That's going to devalue him. But if he can stay healthy, this is a guy, he's very quick. He's agile, especially for his size. He's big. I really liked just his explosiveness, uh, the way that he kind of, the way he dictates in the three tech, and he was a one tech as well. He's got, the LSU system is a lot like the Baltimore system. And uh, so this is kind of an experience thing. He does have experience in this kind of a defense, and he might be able to plug in faster as opposed to some of these other guys. Okay, it's a, a, he's a he's an interesting pick. He definitely is an interior defender, not an edge defender, so that's not the reason. He did not quite make the bottom of my list. So, you know, he's a guy who I think they probably would be able to get on day three if they, if they want to. Uh, I don't see him going in the top four rounds, uh, you know, certainly, or... or yeah, I really wouldn't see him going in the top four rounds. That's that's basically where I would start the discussion. Um, I, I guess I, I downgraded him slightly for the fact that at LSU, um, he should have big advantages. He had a decent uh, number of run stops, but he's not a guy who uh, – uh, no, he's not a guy who made the bottom of my list. It's okay. Uh, we're going to have some differences like that. Uh, next guy on my list I'll bring up is Neville Gallimore of Oklahoma. 6'2", 304, uh, 32 and three-quarters arms. Uh, he is, uh, at 304, mildly undersized for a nose tackle, but he's right-sized, I think, for that three-tech spot. Uh, it'll be interesting to see where he ends up in the NFL because you know the Ravens in particular have been one of the teams which have stayed with massive nose tackles. If you look at the Steelers, you know, they've had Javon Hargrave there for a few years now, who is not a massive nose tackle when they play a nose tackle. I mean, they, they, you know, oftentimes it's two at Hayward on the field and, and just two defensive linemen. Um, this is a guy who split 
one and three tech snaps with the Sooners, Gallimore. Uh, he plays low enough to be an earth mover, which I think will convert well against taller and longer NFL linemen. There aren't too many characteristics that will improve for a shorter player at the NFL level. But it's one of the things you look for look for value, sometimes in edge rushers, but sometimes in defensive linemen, that their lack of height will actually help them on the inside. And it's not like he's super small. I mean, he's 6'2", and, and he's got fairly long arms, but he can play low enough that when he's dictating contact, particularly on, on a pass rush situation, that he, he may be able to get low, get underneath a um, NFL lineman and, and force maybe a holding call, as often the case you see on the edge, or just uh, uh, force the guy to turn his shoulders enough to create either other opportunities or disadvantage that offensive lineman. Uh, Gallimore had a fairly fast 40. Uh, he had very high college snap counts, and that's something where, uh, you know, he's not going to play as many snaps at the NFL level. It comes to the Ravens, you know, once again, uh, Martindale is the master of snap allocation, and with only 1.9 defensive linemen per snaps, if he's if he's on with four defensive linemen active on game day, you know, he would only expect to get 1.9 over four as a percentage of those snaps, and he won't get that many as a rookie. So he will really benefit, I think, from playing fewer but faster snaps at the NFL level. And those offensive linemen, of course, still have to play all the snaps. So the, the advantage is a, a unidirectional there in terms of having good snap management. Um, you know, I, had, I had one more point about Gallimore I want to make. Yeah, my bad. Yeah, no problem. Um, so he's occasionally cited as playing too high uh, as a pass rusher. And again, that brings up two points. First of all, good top athletes with flawed technique should improve with better coaching. So that's something I want to, you know, I, I want to make the point again. But in the Ravens uh, scheme, I think he'll be asked to stunt a lot. And he's one of the few among the defensive linemen that I think has the quickness. Matt Ibuke may be in this category as well to be the over guy on stunts as well as the under guy. So obviously you need one of each. Or you can draw from the outside linebacker or inside linebacker categories. But over guys on the defensive line, particularly in the interior, very undervalued because defenses, sorry, offensive lines expect that stunt to come from one direction. It's usually from outside in for the stunting, the over stunting player. But this is a good guy who gives you that flexibility to be the over guy as well from the inside. Gallimore did a great job as the over guy at Oklahoma, too. Uh, he's my number six guy on my list for this. Now, I think that the, one of the best things about Gallimore to his game is his feistiness and just how intense he is when he comes off the line of scrimmage. He's very explosive. He's very active with his hands, and he really, he's, he's, a, he's very intense. It's like a demon, honestly, coming off the line uh, is the best way I would use to describe him. And um, it's a very great point. Uh, the biggest thing that I came away with is that he is a limited snap guy in the NFL right now. Uh, because he was very not because uh, not because I think he could handle a larger snap uh, snap count, but he loses that feistiness very quickly, uh, and you'll see him really impact the game in the first and the fourth quarters and the couple quarters in between. He's kind of almost non-existent, so makes a lot of sense. Um, I like Gallimore a lot. I think he would fit well in Baltimore, and uh, yeah. Let me ask you a question about Gallimore before you move on here. What did you think of his motor? Because this is something we haven't talked about a lot of defensive linemen, but the Ravens obviously create a lot of extended pocket opportunities where guys like McCrary in the past 
um, with a high motor and the ability to finish. Uh, Wolf, I think, is a guy really known for his motor and a, a guy who will extend a, extend his pass rush effort. What did you see from Gallimore? Inconsistent. There were some times where he would chase the passer down, you know, to the sideline. There were other times where he gave up halfway, you know, when his first move didn't work, you know. So I think with Gallimore right now, the mentality is if my first move works, you know, then he's in the play. If it doesn't, he's he's mentally checked out. And that's that's uh, a uh, that's an interesting point uh, th- that you bring up. I agree. Um, but. Okay, we'll, we'll we'll just let it go with that. You're you I I you're are next to make an introduction here. Uh, my number eight guys next is Tier Tart out of Florida International. Um, this is one of those small school guys, you know, that we I that we mentioned at the beginning. Tart popped at the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl, and made me go back and look at his tape a little bit more. I was really impressed with what I saw. Now he's very raw, very raw. He's at least two years away from being able to really get a good snap count going. But he's got the hands. Uh, he's very intense. And he was probably one of the best defensive people in the uh, in the Conference USA last year. And so when you put all that together with the way Ravens are, are able to handle uh, smaller school defensive linemen with the way that, you know, they've – defense in general, this is a guy that fits really well into what they want to do, probably, you know, from uh, a future – I'm not really a nose tackle, but he can he can play a little bit one of one tech, but he's more of a three tech guy, really. OK, there's a there's a very good one. I did not have him on my list. Uh, don't know enough about the guy, honestly, to comment. So I, I, I won't do that in that case, but I appreciate your scouting report on him. The next guy on my list is Devon Hamilton of Ohio State, 6'4", 320. Now, we're now down in the round three, round four guys. Uh, this guy is one of the few in this class. And, and you know, he's at, at 320. He's one of the only guys who really makes sense for a kind of prototypical nose tackle size that the Ravens look for. Uh, so he's a guy who probably can stand up against double teams that the Ravens will require in their jumbo nickel and base packages. So uh, he hasn't been a particularly productive tackler at the college level. So I look at that 38 tackles in 40 games and that's per the OSU website. So, you know, normally I look at those totals, by the way, if you go to a college website, you can get all kinds of inflated tackle totals. And this used to be the case, honestly, with the Ravens and what they used to do with Ray Lewis's tackle totals before those <laughs> became an uh, official NFL stat. I mean, hey, we love you, Ray, but but what the Ravens coaches were doing for your tackle total was just absurd in those early Ravens years. And so it was, uh, uh, it was funny. Um, Hamilton is, a, is an older guy. He's a 50-year senior. So I look at those players and I immediately say, I'd love to see guys coming out in three years. doesn't happen all that often on the defensive line, of course. It happens more often at, at skill positions on offense and, and whatnot. You often have four-year starters who haven't been redshirted. He, Hamilton happens to be a fifth-year senior, which means he's probably got limited second contract value. And you've got to really look at what you get out of this draft, out of this guy, is what you're going to get. You're probably not going to get uh, uh, a great value to a um, – uh, transitional or franchise tag or the other market frictions that can help you keep a player beyond that because you're going to be talking about re-signing a guy who's 
uh, getting close to 30 years old and would be a bigger gamble at that point. To me, that rules a guy out of the top two rounds because you have so much of your draft capital spent on those guys. You have so much you have to really plant the seeds of the potential cornerstone players in those rounds that you can't really afford to take a guy with limited second contract value. I'm looking at you, Hayden Hurst, um, in, 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 uh, in the top two rounds of the draft. So anyway, I, I, Devon Hamilton, I like him for a lot of reasons. I think he, he, he looks good as a nose tackle. He, he's, he's got the right size. He's, he's got the right gap holding capability. I just, I don't like that second contract value. No. And the production wasn't there at Ohio state. And I guess you could point to a lot of the players that were, that he played with there, you know, Chase Young, the Bosa brothers and stuff. But seriously, you know, at some point you do have to make an impact while you're on the field. The thing about him is you mentioned he's a fifth year senior. I still have him listed as a project player. He's my top project player because when you watch tape, you see this guy, there's so many good things that he does. Like you're, like you were saying, gap holding integrity. Uh, he's very consistent, but you're just waiting for it all to come together. It's like it hasn't mentally clicked for him yet where he just like the play just comes to him, you know? And so I like to say that a coach can bring that out a good coach. And once he gets to that point, if he can get to that point, if he has the capacity to, this is a very, very good defensive tackle in the NFL. My next, my next guy is another small school guy that I had to bring up because I really like him. Uh, Garrett Marino out of University of Alabama, Birmingham. This is another guy that popped off of me during an all-star game. I can't remember which one he was in right now for whatever reason. But I went back, looked at the tape, and I really liked what I saw. Um, this is another guy that was really good in that conference, USA. He dictates his position on the line. Uh, he's big as well. If I remember correctly, he's 6'5". Uh, probably needs to put on a little bit of weight. He's weighed in around 285, 290. But Marino's got a lot of potential. That's It's another late-round project-type guy, but a lot of potential that's there. He can really develop into a really good three-tech, I think. And if he, you know, because he's athletic enough, I think he could probably play the one. Just, you know, he needs to be about 305 to get to that point. Yeah, he lists at 6'2 here for what it's worth. Um, I, you know, I looked at him as I went through, and he's a guy I can't include in my top 15. And you start mm-hmm. with the same problem that I had uh, with the last guy, with uh, the Ohio State guy. Now I need to go back for his name, Devon Hamilton, was that uh, Marino is 26 years old this year. So uh, he's not a guy I can include on the list just for that reason. But, uh, you know, he has a lot of those outstanding characteristics of the quick guys like Matabuke and uh, uh, Blacklock of being a very fast 40 time, a very good three cone guy in terms of being a guy who can who can make room on the inside. But the fact of the matter is he's a grown man. You know, he's he really he has to be at the peak of his physical abilities right now and, and perhaps even before he plays an NFL snap. Uh, so, you know, he's had good production. He had a very good uh, fifth year, senior year at UAB, a uh, bunch of sacks. A, 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 I don't know the exact number, but uh, but anyway, a, a bunch of sacks. And and he's just a guy I couldn't include on my list because of the age concerns. But uh, but I understand. And, you know, in this kind of class, maybe I should have. 
because, you know, I get down to the last guy on my list and I'm not very impressed with him either. So, you know, he, he may be a guy that, that, that uh, I should have included there, but uh, anyway, I'll move on to my next guy. Right. I was, I was just going to throw, I was going to say that you're in this, in this class, it is thin. You got to just dig for some of these guys. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> All right. Next guy on my list, McTelvin Agam of, of Arkansas, 6'3", 309, 33 and a half inch arms. I, I would see him as a round four guy um, here. Very effective hand use as a pass rusher. Now, one of the things to look for, the guy has a great rip move. If he's playing offensive linemen like it's a video game, and I, I, I say that, I mean, some of those old 1980s video games, which probably people my your age don't even understand anymore, where you had to, you had to alternate hitting buttons quickly in order to move something fast. I, that's what I think of in terms of, of this guy as a pass rusher. And, and I would almost call that very polished in terms of his abilities, got a good toolkit of, of things he can do with his arms, obviously very well coached in that regard. And so when I see a player like that is already at this point, and then he hasn't been an unbelievable finisher in college, and he had 14 and a half sacks in, in college, um, that's a bad thing in terms of projecting future growth. So uh, I, I, I like him as a penetrating three-tech and not a tweener guy who's a five tech without a position. So that, that, that part is positive. Um, but I think he's still got a lot to prove that he can replicate what he did in college at the pro level. And so that's why I have him a little lower on my list. I, I get that. I saw him at the senior bowl. He did a, and it's exactly what you said is the fact that he is so well, uh, he's got a lot of the fundamentals and the technique down, but the fact that he didn't produce in college. Now you can point to that Arkansas team, that program is in shambles and it has been for a long time. Yeah. And you can point to that being the issue. But when he's playing against some of the best guys in this class in the senior bowl and he's not really standing out, he's kind of in the middle of the pack and there's not that much of an upside value there. There is reason for concern. Yeah. And he, he, he's getting a lot of uh, attention clearly on that Arkansas defense is the point you're making. And that's that's why some other guys like the LSU guy you mentioned earlier I can't rate him as highly because obviously he had more one-on-one inside opportunities given the quality of the LSU defense but but I agree that that's that's a point for for uh Agam's uh upside value is that he faced a lot of doubles in college uh, based on who he was my next guy is actually a guy that they talked to the Ravens talked to at the um, East West Shrine Bowl and it's Carlos Davis he's a defensive lineman out of uh, Nebraska uh, very raw, very raw. He's been very much of a project. Um, I don't know if he's going to go, you know, in the top four rounds. I don't think he's, he might not even go top five. He might be more of a sixth, seventh round guy uh, if he, he's going to get drafted. But, I mean, he's got the big size. He can push around people a little bit. But I think mostly he projects as a one tech. Uh, he did play in a 4-3 at Nebraska, which is going to be a little bit of a concern coming in. But the Ravens did show some interest, so I think there is something there that they like because uh, there weren't many people that they talked to at the East-West Shrine Bowl. But um, David, he, Davis comes from a point where they had the bad, they had the, the, the really bad program going on there. The coaches weren't doing their job, essentially. They weren't really bringing up the talent. And then he got a couple years of Scott Frost. And there was, a, there was you know, an improvement there from those first couple years to the last two. So you do have to consider that there is a little bit more of a ceiling with him as opposed to someone like, you know, uh, a gene like we were talking about, or, you know, Richard Lawrence at LSU, but 
I like him. I think that there's a little bit there where uh, he could fit in in the next three years or so and really get into the picture. Okay, definitely. I agree. Project player, uh, outstanding 40-yard dash at 482. He's right there with Matt Ibuke. Mm-hmm. And uh, so so that's that's terrific for a defensive lineman. But he's got a big problem is that he's playing with 32-inch arms. Now, having watched Patrick McCary play this last year, it's a big disadvantage to try and play that short or even shorter as we've got one other guy coming up uh, later in this draft. He's 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 got a problem there, and, and that's something he's going to have to overcome at the NFL level and that maybe he can he can do some things as a pass rusher there's not a lot of pass rush technique to like there with Carlos Davis which is one of the reasons I I left him off my list but uh, but I agree in terms of size the guy is big enough certainly to play the position it's just a it's a matter of length and then how much growth you can project for him at the NFL level because he's going to have to learn how to play three tech or nose but probably three tech at a at at a level at the uh, at at the at the NFL level and 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 take to some of the coaching on on how to rush the passer effectively. What's worked for him in college and he had a few sacks last year um, is not going to work for him in the NFL in, in terms of uh, of doing it the same way. He's got to reinvent himself to be an effective pass rusher. All right, next guy on my list, uh, Roy Bravion of Baylor, six one three thirty three. 30 and a quarter inch arms, which is one of the truly outrageous uh, numbers I've seen in this. I mean, that's, you're literally dealing with toothpicks at that point. Uh, it's the biggest question mark at the next level for him. Uh, the, the comparable player, and I really searched around to see who, who would be a guy who was similar. It's Greg Gaines of the Rams. And the reason I, I, you know, he's a nose tackle, and I forget if Gaines came out last year or the year before. You may, you may know, uh, John, but uh, he, he uh, was up against McCary in the game at L.A., and he twice got McCary to hold him by locking into him. And the first time, McCary actually committed the hold. The second time, it looked like uh, he. That Gaines saw an opportunity and forced the hold by continuing to latch on and actually took McCarry to the ground to draw that hold. It was a very clever play that, uh, that, that I really liked. But you, know, you can't get away with that kind of trickery forever, obviously. Bravion, a guy who is, you know, he's, he's certainly got a lot of positive qualities. Play, likes to play off the line of scrimmage, as Haloti Nada did, as a, you know, without Haloti's length. Or athleticism, for that matter, but but some of the athleticism to uh, you know find a gap and then be coming at a full head of steam and be and be hard to uh, uh, to block that way. Uh, it's weird to see that you know still in play, but there are a few who who it kind of makes sense for. Maybe Bravion is one. Uh, he did compile over three tackles per game at the college level. Um, that seems like it's good to start with, and it is the level I would consider good for a college productivity number on the interior. But the fact of the matter was he played every snap at Baylor or almost never came off the field. So it's more likely that he's going to rack up those good numbers. Uh, He's in there for pretty much every run snap. They're not trying to get him off the field for that. So um, he had some sacks as a senior. He, He definitely has some pass rush capability. It'll be interesting to see how the Ravens value this guy. I'd see him as no higher than a round four guy, but, uh, but we'll see where the, uh, where the Ravens put him in this draft. And the game that he came out and really showed out in a live was that first game against Oklahoma where they took the 28 to three lead. And he was a monster the first half. I mean, especially in that first quarter, he was 
I, I, I went back and looked at him. I think I wrote my report that night on him. Um, I did like a lot of the things that uh, he does bring to the game, but that's a great point about his length and not being able to really do too much uh, because he is that he, he just, he doesn't have length whatsoever, but I do think he's a good project. And I do expect, I do have fun. I will have fun seeing him in the NFL. Um, my next guy on my list is Benito Jones. He's a uh, out of Ole Miss, another sec guy. Jones is a really interesting guy uh, to watch just because he tries to win with power and he doesn't really have any finesse. So he's strictly a nose tackle, strictly a one tech, nothing more. Uh, but sometimes he actually does win and it's, he beats some pretty good guys too. Uh, it old miss doing this, but he just takes people by surprise because he's just got brute force. Um, other times he gets manhandled. So he's nothing more than, you know, a late, a very late round pick, maybe a priority free agent, but uh, if you can get him to consistently attack people and, and get his plant going, you know, where, you know, he can, uh, he can really get into his pass rush and not get overpowered, not get pushed back. I think he's really got that side, that upside to him because he's, he's very, very articulate in the sense of, you know, um, being able to work that offensive lineman once he stays in the play. Yeah, you know, he was an interesting player. He fell off my list, too, in terms of the top 15. Here's here's the big thing. He has played a lot of snaps at Old Miss. It may be a case that this is a guy who would benefit greatly from playing a reduced snap count. He certainly would at the NFL level, obviously, in a more pass-conscious league. He's not going to get nearly as many snaps. I, I agree, probably UDFA is the place for him. The Ravens may not be that fortunate. But, uh, you know, Benito Jones and his agent ought to say, hey, Baltimore would be a great landing spot given where they are right now in terms of the age of their defensive line. So I think they're going to have some advantages in signing guys like Jones. And Jones is a guy, I think, again, who would benefit under Martindale, play 300, 350 snaps a year maybe, um, and he's played more than that in college. I mean, he's, he's probably averaged close to 600 snaps a year in college. But if he could play 300 to 350 at the NFL level, he could play them at a higher level. And uh, and I think that's something that he would have to look to do. So, uh, you know, I, 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 he, he didn't make my list, but I understand why you might have him on there. I'm okay. My next guy's not too dissimilar in terms of what he brings to the game. It's John Penasini of Utah, uh, 6'1", 318, 32 and, and 7'8's arms. The most unfortunate name in the draft, I think we can all agree in terms of who he is. Um, anchors extremely well against the run. Uh, not much as a pass rusher, very little uh, offered there. He averaged three tackles per game at the college level. Uh, you know, again, solid uh, productivity there. The value to the Ravens would come as a gap sheriff. You know, he's he's going to be on in the base and jumbo nickel packages. Uh, playing that three tech spot, maybe where Wolf is a little undersized to play it on those snaps. Um, uh, and, and he'd be ideal for, for being a guy who could hold off defenders and prevent the guard or center or tackle from moving to level two and, uh, uh, and making another block there. So hopefully he, he holds those, uh, those linemen to, to one block each, uh, very highly thought of as a, as a run stopper in this draft. And I definitely think he, uh, he, he could be a guy who the Ravens take. Um, you know, round four, round five would be the right uh, right range for him. I'll be honest, I didn't watch him, so I can't really make comments on him. <laughs> I mean, I saw him next to Foto, but not enough to, you know, be able to tell you what he does. Yeah, um, no problem with it. 
My next guy is actually a guy who had a pretty good senior bowl week, Jason Strobridge out of North Carolina. Um, the only thing with him is while he's very athletic, he's, he's very fast, he's very quick, he could actually probably go play special teams this year and next year as well, uh, he needs to bulk up. And that was the biggest hit. While he had a really good senior bowl week, uh, everybody came away with the same thing. He needs to bulk up. He needs to put on probably a good 25, 30 pounds. And so that's realistically probably about two years away. Uh, if he can put on that weight and retain a lot of the athleticism, a lot of the quickness and explosion that he has, this guy's going to be really good in the NFL. You just need to find a special teams place for him until he's ready to get to that point, and he's going to be he's going to be solid. Okay, Strobridge was a guy who was at the bottom of my consideration list, but in the end, I I, I couldn't put him in there on size on a size basis. So he's, he's got the right height. And he's 275, and you know maybe he blocks kicks or something. He's at 6'4", 275, is pigeonholes him almost into a five tech NFL spot. So I think he'll end up being a four three uh, edge somewhere, four three defensive end, uh, and he'll be very effective there. Potentially be very effective. It's going to be harder for a team like the Ravens that plays a three four to kick him to the inside and find him enough snap count to make him worthwhile. So what it, what ends up happening with these guys? who are kind of tweeners that would end up as a five-tech in the NFL, is they uh, get oh, they get more fully valued by teams that play a 4-3 and, and undervalued by 3-4 teams. So he's a guy, there certainly there is an upside there. I, you know, I, I considered him, I just couldn't put him on the list in, in the end for uh, for those reasons. But, uh, but anyway, uh, if, if he ends up at a 3-4 end, there's a smaller set of teams that actually need him and that play a lot of five tech snaps. You got to look for teams that play a lot of base. That's usually bad teams, by the way. Teams that are ahead a lot in games, they end up playing a lot of dime. Uh, you know, teams that are good on the inside, teams you know automatically want to force them into the nickel, which kind of forces a player like Strobridge off the field. So he's either got to adapt and be a three tech or or be that uh, uh, four three edge player he could be in the NFL. So anyway, I, I didn't include him on my list for that reason, but I understand. I see the talent there. It's it's just I don't see how he fits the Ravens scheme. Next guy on my list is Lakey Fotu of Utah, um, 6'5", 330, played right next to Penasini. I think I had this happen on one of the other positions as well, maybe maybe on the uh, offensive line. Yeah, probably, because Michigan had all three guys in my top 15. Um, 34 and a quarter inch arms, that is freakishly long. I mean, that's offensive tackle and a good offensive tackle length for arms. And those are the guys who are 6'6", six, 6'7", six, six, you know, are up there with those kind of arms. Just for that alone and the ability to dictate that first contact, uh, you know, I love this guy as a nose tackle prospect. Uh, 330 doesn't hurt either, um, but he's also a, a guy that can be trained, I think, to keep his arm free when singled up. Now, he only had 82 tackles in 30 college games, uh, you know, playing in the pack. I, I don't know how to evaluate that. It's a little bit low. It's not not tragically low. Obviously, um, you know, because there's a lack of nose tackles in this draft, I think there's a chance that he'll go higher than the fifth round. But that's about where I think he has value to the Ravens. So we'll see how it plays out. Um, it, it, they prob- they might not get a chance to draft him that late. But uh, it's a great bet on frame, on first step. And, uh, you know, the, the good news for the Ravens is that his combine numbers were terrible. So teams like the Raiders will really try and avoid 
a guy like this because he just doesn't meet their minimum combine standard. Teams that look at RAS, RAS, won't like it. But the Ravens have shown a flexibility in taking both great combine players like Boykin and lousy combine players like Brown and taking them. I mean, this year it could be Epinesa is the guy they take who has a lousy lousy combine mm-hmm. uh but is a but is a good player otherwise. So anyway, I like him in about the fifth round. Uh, he certainly has the size to play very effectively. Uh, may have benefited a little bit in the run game from playing next to Panasini, uh, who was one up. Uh, so anyway, that's uh, my scouting report on him. And you got to remember, Bradley and I was on that off on that defensive line too at Utah, and that's another freak of an athlete right there. Um, I didn't include him on the list, mostly. Honestly, I. Probably should have. But uh, I think the one thing that's going to drive him down draft boards is the fact that he did play injured a good bit. And he missed the senior bowl due to a, an ankle injury, if I remember correctly. It was, I was kind of bummed out because I really wanted to see him play. But very, very big, very, very strong. I think the one thing that's concerning with him is the fact that uh, if they game plan to him, you know, if they put special attention to him during like t- other teams, uh, he was a non-factor. And then there were other games where they focused more on an eye and he took off. So I think he's a guy that will win a lot when, you know, the, there's a lot of one-on-one opportunities. But outside of that, he he struggles to make a factor in a game. Uh, my next guy is Raekwon Williams out of Michigan State. Uh, this is another 4-3 guy. I will warn you. Um He's a future impact guy, in my opinion. And I really like what he does on the inside. I think as a three or a five tech, he's what he's capable of playing at the next level. Um, Really, really, he's still kind of raw. He still does need a lot of work, especially with his hands. I don't think he uses his hands well enough. Um, He does try to win a lot with power. He tries, it's almost like he tried to take on his, you know, the Raekwon Davis at uh, Alabama with his type of, you know, uh, playing style, but he's not quite as big and not quite mm-hmm. as strong. And um, I would get the two mixed up all the time. It was horrible trying to yeah. talk to people sometimes about that. Can't tell the Raekwons without a scorecard. <laughs> and even the helmet colors are different. You still can't tell. But I think I think he could fit well with Baltimore if he falls far enough. And they're kind of like, you know, we could use him to kind of slide into that three-tech kind of role. All right, I mean, 6'4", 303, 33-3-8. There's nothing to not like about his size from my perspective. So I think, you know, he makes sense as a three-tech. Uh, I, I don't think he ends up being a nose in this league. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the thing I didn't like about him was that he's older. He's a fifth-year senior. He had over three tackles per game. Well, he should, dominating younger men like that, uh, you know, at, at his age. Here's the, the troubling number from the combine was 17 bench reps. So I know taller players have a disadvantage in the bench is one of the things. In fact, they might even they maybe even should adjust the bench rep to, to, to be relative to height uh, somehow. But 17 bench reps is still low for a defensive lineman. Uh, at age 23, he's obviously got limited second contract value. So we've talked about that enough. I think we don't need to revisit that. I liked how he used his length in the run game. And, and he may have an ability to take a step forward as a pass rusher. Didn't do much in college in that regard, but but uh, you know certainly he'll get different coaching, and he has the length to play effectively there. Uh, so we could see. I mean, I, I, he's not a guy who I could say you can rule out an advancement as a as a pass rusher at the pro level. So he's the last guy on my list, number fifteen. 
uh, I will go on to my next guy, who is Robert Windsor of Penn State. Now, this is a guy who probably ends up as a 4-3 edge in the NFL. And he's another guy might have tweener issues, but he's right on the verge of being big enough. at 6'4", 290, 33 and an eighth on the arms. Uh, you know, he'd be a later round guy, around five, around six guy, kind of a slenderish build. Um, he is a polished pass rusher, and again, that should set off alarms in your mind as, as a guy who uses his hands violently to win may have already attained a closer level to his ceiling. Uh, the first step is okay. Uh, it's not great. Uh, you know, I, I, I hear people raving about that first step. You look at him on tape. It's good. It's not great. Uh, he is a stunt threat as the under with that, but just a, just a normal kind of a stunt level threat as the under guy. I don't think he's the over guy in stunts. Uh, he's not a guy who would look to be a two-gap player. Uh, I think he would have some trouble doing that. Obviously, at his size, that's going to be an issue. Um, he may be a better bet, again, as a 4-3 defensive end than, than a three-tech. Uh, I think everybody else has to dislike him as a 4-3 for a team like the Ravens to really like him in terms of having a uh, amoeba-like set of positions that they play by down. Uh, you know, other teams, you look at, you know, at Cincinnati, at Denver. I mean, they have such a fixed four-man pass rush by play. The Ravens will throw the whole kitchen sink at you. So they're the team that that may have a place for Windsor if that four-three team can't uh, can't find a spot for him. But he's got to drop for them to for him to drop into the Ravens' value range, in my opinion. Yeah, and this is Windsor is a guy that could go in the second round. You know, if, if there's a team that likes him well enough and he's been talked up enough on that. I'm not saying he will. I'm just saying he can. Uh, my last guy is Malcolm Roach. I really like Malcolm Roach as a project. He's out of Texas. Uh, I think he is a little bit on the smaller side, but he's very strong. He's very sturdy. Uh, and he's he's another three-tech guy. I guess I like three-tech guys, I'll be honest. Um, does well with his penetration and, get, and coming off the line and explosive. I just don't think he's consistent enough to really be a factor right away, and that's what makes him a project is you got to work on his timing, you got to work on uh, his engagement, too. I think he will struggle with that sometimes. Gets locked up a little bit too easily. Okay, the only reason I left him off my list was the arm length is under 32 inches, again, at 31.875. That had me concerned. And now there's a combo here that happened. 31 and 7 eighths arms, and he only did 20 reps on the bench, which is which is weak for a defensive lineman, but it's especially mm-hmm. weak when you have short arms. He's not Fotu, who has a, it was an excuse for a – for a uh, low one, but he's a quick guy. Another guy in the four eights in terms of the 40 yard dash. So there, there, there definitely are things to like there. And I would agree with you. He probably ends up being a three tech as an NFL player. Um, the next guy on my list. And the last one is Josiah Coatney of old miss, uh, uh, six, three, three Oh eight, 32 and three quarters on the arms. And, and you can look at them and really say he and Roach had some similarities in terms of, of a lot of things, but, but Coatney has a little bit longer arms. And that's why the reason I took him, uh, played a lot of five tech in college. Uh, it's difficult to project that to the NFL in terms of where he would necessarily play. If he's played five tech in college it's just different. And you, know, you 
you look at his outside the tackle snaps if you go to PFF and their and their guide or you go other places and they and they talk about it um it's just not as clear that he'd be as effective on the inside but you look at his tackle total and again I have to asterisk it in terms of where he played but he almost five tackles per game uh, most of which were wins by the football outsider's definition. So that's the one where you have to get 45% of the yards on first down and 60% of the yards on second down and 100% of the yards on third down. But, you know, that's that's really exceptional in terms of of uh, a, t- a tackle productivity number. So, uh, you know, I, I don't know what to believe about his weight either. He's 308 at the Combine, but he's listed at 325 on collegefootballreference.com. So, You'll find all kinds of inconsistencies in terms of little things. One of the things I want to ask you about is where do you go to find good age information on these players? It's the first question I ever ask about a baseball prospect. It's what I really want to know about a football prospect in terms of second contract value. But it's very hard to find legitimate birth dates on these players. Yeah, actually, there's one guy, uh, Mark Jarvis. He, I don't. I don't particularly agree with his rankings or anything, but he's got a database that's on a Google spreadsheet and he's devoted to making sure that every birthday is on there and he's got their updated height, their updated weight. If you can get their arm and wingspan lengths, they're on there too, hand size. Uh, it's just a great resource and I'm pretty sure you can find it at what's on draft at NFL.com. Okay, definitely send me that link again. I I, I appreciate sure. you saying it, but I'll I'll, uh, I'll retweet that. In fact, just tag me and I'll, I'll retweet it for followers because that's something that people really ought to focus on: is what's the actual age of these guys yeah. the Ravens might be drafting. So uh, it's a it's definitely a cool thing. Now, do you have one more player on your list? No, that was the last guy I had. Okay. Fantastic. So uh, I can't tell you how much I appreciate you coming on, John. It's been a great discussion. We've gone way over, which is cool. We don't mind doing that, not even in the least here. I hope I'm not uh, imposing on your day more than I should be. But not at all. Great discussion, John. Tell folks again, where can they find your work? You can find me at NFLDraftRight.com. And uh, right is spelled R-I-T-E. We... It, we launched back in November, and it's been great so far. We've gotten a really great response. Uh, the team's really grown here in the last couple of weeks, and we're really we're planning big things for 2021. So hopefully everything comes together the way that it's looking, and it's it's going to be great. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at John D.A. Vogel, and, uh, the, of course, the website's at, at DraftRight. All right. Outstanding stuff. I want to remind people of the live stream we're going to have on the draft this Thursday. So we'll be looking at round one. It'll be uh, me and Michael Crawford, uh, who's an outstanding uh, writer locally and really has an eye for draft and film and whatnot. And, and he'll be playing the role of Daniel Jeremiah. But what we're looking for is for each of these picks that are made in the first round, it's how does it impact the Ravens? So it is a Raven-centric focus on the draft. And I think people appreciate generalized draft knowledge, but once Carson Palmer was drafted, I didn't want to hear about him for half of the rest of the first round in 2003. (laughs) I want to hear about how does this affect the Ravens, damn it. And that's what we're going to give you. That's different from the national uh, pundits who will, who will talk about each of these guys as they go talk about, you know, how many Michigan players have been drafted because I, you know, (laughs) there's certain forces on air who always want to talk about that. But anyway, we're going to be talking about how does the draft affect the Ravens? Hope people will, uh, uh, log on and we'll have links to that posted all over Twitter. We'll have it on, on Facebook and other places as well on YouTube. 
and uh, and it'll be out there for folks to folks to reach. Hope you'll give us a chance on Thursday, and we'll be starting at 7:30 p.m. So before the draft, we'll have about 30 minutes of Ravens needs we talk about up front. Once again, thanks so much for joining us, John, on this show. Uh, really appreciate you being here. I'll look to have you on again. This is a lot of fun. I appreciate you reaching out, and it was a lot of fun, man. I'll I'll be back. All right. See you next time on Film Study. Birdland Sports. For fans, by fans. Find more great shows like this at birdlandsports.com. Introducing Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer. Blending the smooth, creamy nitro taste of Guinness with hints of coffee, chocolate, and caramel. Guinness Nitro Cold Brew Coffee Beer, your new favorite part of the day. Look for it where Guinness is sold. Must be 21 and over to purchase. Please enjoy responsibly. Diageo Beer Company, New York, New York. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.